Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to those who did receive Him, to all who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. For God so loved the world that He gave Merry Christmas. Let me uh, genuinely thank you for making the Southbridge service part of your Christmas experience, your Christmas weekend, especially those of you who this isn't your regular experience to come to Southbridge. We're really glad that you're here. But before I jump into the Christmas story tonight, I just want to ask a quick survey of all of you that are here today. How many of you still have shopping that you have to do? How many of you would raise your hand and acknowledge that? There's a couple, a couple. Okay, I saw a a survey that was on the news the other day that said 6% of Americans are going to be in that category. And so I don't want to shame you at all. A couple of you that raised your hands, I want you to know that you're like the special forces of shopping. And so congratulations on that. But whether it's you've already done all your shopping, you've got some shopping to do still, probably everybody here knows what it's like to go on a quest to give the perfect Christmas gift. Have you ever had that experience where you, you want to get, you've got a person in mind, you want it to be personal, or you want it to be the thing that they've wanted, or maybe it's the hot item of that year, and, and some of you, you think of the kids, you know, the kids automatically assume they're like the big eyes and waiting for opening presents underneath the trees when they're real little, and all the anticipation of that, but kids like to give gifts too. And uh, my wife and I were realizing this a few days ago, and we were sitting at the dinner table at our house, and our eight-year-old daughter, Janie, had made a gift for one of her classmates, and it was this sweet potato that she had painted white like a snowman and put eyes on it and a couple arms on it, and the arms were Q-tips, but it was actually dabbing, so she was pretty impressed with that, and she was confident this was going to be a great gift for one of her classmates, and she was only giving it to one of her classmates, and the confusion happened in our house when we realized, we didn't give you that potato. Where'd you get that potato? How did that happen? And Janie ended up saying to my wife, Shanna, to her mom, said, Mom, I came to the pantry to get a potato, and you wouldn't give me one. And the reality is the way the conversation actually happens is that Janie went to the pantry while Shanna was in the pantry and said, do we have any potatoes? She said no, to which Janie took as rejection, but she became resourceful. And she, was, she went to school the next day and asked one of her classmates, do you think you could get your parents to give me a potato? Because my parents won't give me a potato, and I want to give it to a classmate. At that point, when I realized what had happened, I was pretty confused, but I said, Janie, so you asked a classmate for a potato so you could give a potato to a different classmate. She said, yeah. I go, so you're not giving the person you asked the potato from any present? She said, no. I said, could you tell me who it was that you asked the potato from? And we ended up finding out there was actually a couple who goes to our church. 
And so then we thought to ourselves, so then you went to school, told this kid, this kid went to their parents, probably thinks Pastor Scott doesn't feed his kids. We've got to start siphoning potatoes into your book bag to give to my child. And so I just want you to know, if you were that family, my daughter, eight-year-old daughter, was just on a quest to give the perfect gift. And many of us do that. Whether it's for a spouse, whether it's for your child, whether it's for a neighbor, whether it's somebody you want to surprise, whatever it is, we, we love to give good gifts. And marketers know this too. And so every year, have you noticed, there's always a hot item that's like the thing. And there's so limited supplies, there won't be enough of them. Do you know, I was doing a little reading about this this week, do you know what the first toy that was sold to kids that was shown on TV was? Do you have any idea what the first toy that was advertised on television was? You can't, you already know, Ella, I told you. I'm raising your hand over here. Do you have any, any guesses? You got guesses? You can go ahead and say them. I'm okay with the interaction. Go ahead. It was Mr. Potato Head. That is right. Some people said it. And we've got a picture of the original box, I believe, that we can show you here. Do you see this? It's from 1951 right there. But notice there's also peppers and beets and oranges. And did you see that that's actually a real potato? Did you know the original Mr. Potato Head didn't come with a potato? And I thought when I saw that, what a scam. Hey, I'd like to sell you a teddy bear. Teddy bear not included. Like, think about how that goes. Mr. Potato Head with no potato. It's a box of eyes, ears, and lips. And I thought of that in light of my own daughter's experience. What a terrible gift she would have received at our house. We didn't have potatoes. Just, I got a box of eyes for Christmas. Look at that. That was the first one. That one sold a, a million uh, items that year, Mr. Potato Head. The next year they came out with Mrs. Potato Head and put them in tractors and started, they've, they've got it figured out. And they've got it down to a science now. How many of you remember Cabbage Patch Kids when that was the hot item? People getting in fights at stores over buying <laughs> what I don't, I think is not that cute of a doll actually. Or Transformers, 1984, Transformers, more than meets the eye. Remember that one? Tickle Me Elmo, around 1995, 96. A little red doll for $30, you could have this. And if you tickle it, it sounds like a middle-aged man trying to laugh like a child. <laughs> Just like that, actually. We've got other one, Beanie Babies. Maybe some of you remember these. The catch with the Beanie Babies was keep the tag on the Beanie Babies. They'll be worth thousands of dollars someday. Now you can find them at garage sales all across Raleigh for about a nickel. Last year, the most popular item was Hatchimals. I don't know if you saw these or not. But I read a story about a guy who actually flew to a different country to buy his child a Hatchimal. This year, the hot item I found out was fingerlings. Have you seen these? Friendship on your finger. For $14 retail price, however, if you didn't get one at the store, you can buy them on eBay. Go ahead and search and you can check me on this for well over $1,000 right now. The hot item. But if you wait till next year, they'll probably be like $4.99, okay? Just letting you know. It's a hot item. Marketers know how to get this. And they know that we're going to go on this quest to give the perfect gift. As a church, we've been doing this series, as you saw from the video and the logo behind me, called The Gift of God. We've been walking through the Christmas story and talking about the gift that God gives us at Christmas time, looking at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And tonight, I want to talk to you about how God's gone on quite a quest, leaving heaven, putting on flesh, coming to earth, ultimately dying on a cross so he could give you the ultimate gift. The gift that we're going to talk about tonight concludes this series. So in January, if you're a guest, I'd love to invite you to come for a new series that we're going to start in the book of 1 Peter, but we're wrapping up tonight this series called The Gift of God. And the gift that we're talking about tonight if we would grasp, those of you who have already received this gift, if you would grasp, grasp the value of this gift, you'd be willing to give up everything in your life to obtain this gift. In fact, Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. 
one of the shortest stories you read in the Bible, just one verse. There's a guy who finds a treasure in a field, and he says the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field, and the guy finds it. And in his joy, sells everything he has to purchase that field, to have the kingdom of God. In the passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, there's a a verse in verse 10 in Luke chapter 2 where it says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The gift that we're talking about today is a gift that if you don't have it, you can have all kinds of joys in life. You can buy the hot item. You can have a pleasurable experience. You can get a promotion in your job. You can manipulate circumstances to be just what you want them to be, to be in just the right place with just the right clothes and just the right reputation And you'll never have true joy, lasting joy. Because today we're talking about the gift of eternal joy. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have one, that's fine. The verses will be on the screen behind me and the screen's on the side. I'm just going to read to you this story. It's the Christmas story. It's one in our family. It's a tradition for us that I read it every Christmas day, every Christmas morning before we get to the presents. So sometimes my kids feel like this is the last hurdle and then we get the gift. And some of you might feel that way about this service. This is the last hurdle, then we get to open the gifts. Let me tell you something. This passage is the gift. Because in this passage, we're going to see the gift that God went on an incredible quest to give you the perfect gift. Just read it with me. I'm just going to read it and make some observations. Some observations maybe you already know. Some observations might be new to you. And what we're going to see is this gift. And, and just to give you an idea of what's going to happen, I'm going to read through this passage. And then after I'm done reading through this passage, I'm going to challenge you, if you've already received this gift, just to reflect on the joy of your salvation. If you've never received this gift before, what I'm going to do is to challenge you to, to, come to come to grips with that, to acknowledge that that's true. But I'm also going to tell you how you can receive that gift even tonight. And so hopefully reading through this passage won't just be a, a religious exercise for us, but for some of you it might be life-changing. Let me read it. Uh, Luke chapter 2. It starts off with just this three-word phrase, in those days, which oftentimes we just read past that. We just assume it means like a long time ago, in those days. But in those days means in the days of what's happened in Luke chapter 1. What happened in Luke chapter 1, just a summary, it's a great story. It's got all the elements of a blockbuster movie. There's a scandal. There's a young woman who's become pregnant. She's not married. That was a scandal then. And and there's elements that seem like a cover-up. In fact, you'll see that even later in Jesus' life when people accuse him of being born of sexual morality. And, And then there's some supernatural stuff that takes place. I don't know if you've seen the new Star Wars. Star Wars got nothing on what happens in Luke chapter 1. I won't ruin Star Wars if you haven't seen it, so those of you getting tense, don't worry. But this angel shows up and says to this young girl named Mary, you're going to have a child. He said, I've never been with a man. Same angel shows up, speaks to another couple. The angel shows up, speaks to Joseph. Supernatural stuff taking place, and this virgin's going to be pregnant, but not just pregnant with any child, pregnant with the Savior of all mankind. In those days, not just those days, but there's also there's a ruler in charge in those days. Rome is in charge, and there's a, what's called the Pax Romana, The Pax Romana is the peace of Rome. Here's the problem with the peace of Rome. It's a false peace. It's the kind of peace that many of us strive for. Those of us who struggle with control, we try to strive for this. We try to make everything work out the way we want it to be and control all the environments around us so that we can have peace. That's what Pax Romana was. There wasn't war. There was financial prosperity. Things were going well, but they still lacked the inner peace that only Jesus Christ can give. Ever felt that? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. Let me just pause there and just say this. Sometimes we read past that, Caesar Augustus. Let me just tell you this. That's not even that guy's name. His name's Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted son of a man named Julius Caesar. Maybe you've heard of him. If you remember elementary school history, they named a salad after him. If you don't know Julius Caesar. 
And what ended up happening is that Julius Caesar was a great leader. He died two years after his death. It was B.C. 12, uh, 12 B.C., and Halley's Comet was coming through. So you can check this out uh, if you want to check the history on this. And Gaius Octavius, known in this passage as Caesar Augustus, pointed to that comet and said, that's my father ascending into heaven. He was a god, which made him a son of God. So he wanted to be worshipped. But people were okay with that because Rome was ruling. Rome brought prosperity. Rome was bringing this false peace. And so they worshipped him as a son of God. They gave him different titles. The first one that they gave him was leading citizen. The next title that he received in his life was the high priest. So he was the high priest of the people, the son of God. The worst title he received is the one we see in the Bible right here, Augustus. Do you know what it means? It means supreme ruler, exalted one. And so here you have the exalted one, the supreme ruler of the world, issuing a decree that everybody should register. And a lot of times when we read this and we read by it quickly, we think as Americans it's a census. He's just counting. He wants to know how many people are from which area of the the world, and that's not what it is. See, what censors actually did is they would call people to give an account for their life, sometimes even a moral account. So here you have a supreme ruler. Can you imagine one supreme ruler of the entire world calling everybody in the world to give an account for their life? It'll happen one day, but it won't be Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus issues a decree. And then we get some history to put this in context here, verse 2. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And so he traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about a hundred-mile journey. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, so he had to register from where you were from, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. So she went with him, who was with child. Yeah, we know, she's about nine months pregnant. Ladies, some of you have had babies before. You know what it feels like to be nine months pregnant? Some of you might have gone on a walk to try and induce uh, the baby coming out. Can you imagine going on a 100-mile walk? Maybe you had a donkey, but I promise that donkey didn't have air conditioning. Bad road trip. And while they were there, they got to Bethlehem, this small little town, and it was packed because of the census. The time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a feeding box for animals, because there was no place for them in the inn. And sometimes we read this and we think of inns like, like the Holiday Inn. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. Maybe Joseph could say, hey, I gave birth to the Savior of the world. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. He didn't because there's no room in the inn. But the inn, what I want you to know about the inns is this. An inn was not a good place to stay. And in, it was a shady place. Bad stuff happened at inns. We got kids in here, so I won't say all the details, but usually they were owned by shady people, and shady stuff happened there. The only time you'd go to stay at an inn is a last resort. David's from this area. He's probably got relatives there. They didn't have any room. He went to an inn. Nobody wants to stay at an inn. They didn't have any room. So he goes out with these animals. What you have here in the first seven verses is two kingdoms in contrast, Jesus and Caesar Augustus. The humility is intentional. But the delivery is too, and that's verses 8 through 14. Look at it. Some of you are going to plan tonight. Some of you have little kids. I can hear the little kids in here, and you're going to plan how you're going to present the presents to them. You're going to hide something behind a tree. You're going to have uh, something out in the garage. You're going to put a sheet on something, whatever it is. Look what God does here. He's very intentional. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So this is one of the shifts they did. They lived out here. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's just a normal night for these guys. They're probably talking about, should there be a four-team or an eight-team playoff in the college playoff? I don't know what they're talking about. They're just talking about like daily stuff. And an angel shows up, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. Now, it's intentional here that God comes to shepherds. 
And shepherds, a lot of times, shepherds get a good rap in the Christian church because David was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, and so we think highly of shepherds, mostly as Christians. But here's the reality. Shepherds were, were very low status. In fact, just above tax collectors and lepers. They were unclean. They weren't able to go to the temple, so they wouldn't be able to come to a Christmas Eve service because they'd be working. And not only that, they couldn't go to the temple because they were considered unclean. And the animals that they're most likely watching here, these sheep that are just outside of Jerusalem, are sheep that were used to atone for the religious people's sins. How ironic that the guys who are watching over the, the animals that would atone for people's sins can't atone for their own sins because they're unclean. Do you think it's a mistake that God comes to shepherds? Do you think it's a mistake that He's born in a stable it's not, a mistake. it's not any more a mistake than what God's used in your life to bring you to the point you're at right now. God's intentional. And then look at here's the verse. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for, don't miss this, all the people, for everyone. In fact, God goes out of his way in the Christmas story to show that this good news is for every kind of person. So some people, we've had people before, we've invited people to church before and say, I, I can't come to your church. God doesn't love me because of their persuasion. Some people have said that to me. Some people think, I, don't, I can't come to church because I'm not cleaned up. It's more for like religious people. And so a lot of people think the Christmas story is for religious people, for clean people, for people who vote a certain way, for people who look a certain way, for people who act a certain way and don't do certain things. But if you read the Christmas story, God goes out of his way to show this is for all kinds of people. Have you ever read Matthew's gospel? And he gives this genealogy, and he starts off with a religious guy, Abraham. But if you keep reading through the genealogy, it comes to people like Rahab. You know Rahab's nickname? Rahab the prostitute. That's Jesus' genealogy. God was intentional. Matthew himself. Do you know what his job was? He was a tax collector. Let me give you some history. People still hate tax collectors. If you work for the IRS, God loves you. I hope you receive eternal life and quit that job. <laughs> But Jesus came for Matthews of the world, and he came for the Rahabs of the world, and he came for shepherds, and he came for you, and he came for me. But see here, it said that there was good news of great joy. So the joy comes from the news, which begs the question, what is the news? That's verse 11. Verse 11, you have to understand verse 11 to understand this message, to understand this passage. Look at verse 11. For unto you, this is personal, it's not just unto the world, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is, who is this Savior? Christ. Who is this Christ? The Lord. Did you know, some of you may have known this, some of you might not know this, did you know this is the only verse in the entire New Testament where all three of those titles are used of Jesus in one verse? Understanding those three titles helps you understand the good news. And so what are those titles? Look again, a Savior, Christ, Lord. What is a Savior? Who is a Savior? Why do we need a Savior? You need a Savior because you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. You need to be pulled out of something, like someone that's drowning. You need to be thrown a life preserver. You need to be pulled out, pulled back into the boat. Why do you need to be saved? What are you saved from? Your sin. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. Have you ever sinned? Don't answer out loud, especially if you're going to say no. Have you ever lied? Don't, 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 don't say No. Have you ever committed adultery? The Bible says if you ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Have you ever murdered somebody? The Bible says if you ever hated somebody, you're guilty of murder. But you know what the reality is? It's not the badness of your sin that separates you from God. See, a lot of Christians don't even pay attention to the second part of that verse I quoted to you, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And a lot of people deceive themselves into thinking they have eternal life because they've acknowledged their sin and they've done some bad thing, but they don't realize they're glory thieves. Did you see the second part of the verse? 
For all have sinned. And what's the key? Fallen short of the glory of God. Your sin is not based on man's standards of morality. And so some people live in the Raleigh area or maybe you're from some other part of the country and, and you measure up to whatever the standards are of the culture. Great for you. That does nothing for you before God because you're still a glory thief. You know what a glory thief does? They make their life all about themselves. And some people are so good at it, they dress it up as religion. And so I'm talking to some of you here, not that just came to church with a friend, but maybe you come to church regularly and I want you to feel the weight of your sin. Do you realize what we do? We love the gifts, we don't love the giver. We love God's forgiveness, we love his hope, we love his joy, we love his redemption, we love all these things that he puts out there. We don't love him. We love creation and not the creator. Romans chapter 1 talks about that. He gives us over to our depraved mind. We live our lives for ourselves and we love lies. We exchange the truth for lies. We make life about ourselves. The reality is you were, you were created for God's glory. And when you live for your own glory, you fall short of God's perfect standard. All have done it. Fall short of the glory of God. So you need a Savior. But he's not just a Savior. He said he's the Christ. What does it mean that he's the Christ? Well, that means he's the promised one. The one that was promised in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, when it talks about Jesus coming to be the suffering servant 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. Talked about the cross. Because did you realize the Christmas story is not really about Christmas? It's actually about Easter. Christmas is like a pointer to Easter. You know what happens on Good Friday? Jesus Christ is crucified for your sin. Do you know what he's doing at that point when he's suffering on the cross? Do you know what you're being saved from as a Savior? Not just, not just your sin. You're being saved from God. Because God's wrath is coming upon you because you've fallen short of his perfect standard. You've stolen his glory and he won't give his glory to another. And so his wrath is coming against you. You're being saved from God because he's suffering. He's absorbing God's wrath on the cross that Friday. And he's buried and he raises from the dead. Do you know what that means? He defeated death and he can offer you life. He's the Christ. The promised one people have been waiting for since the Old Testament. But he's also, there's one more title. Lord. Lord means sovereign authority. That means he's in control. And you know what happens, especially for glory thieves, is we think that we're in control of our lives. And if you want to see God's sovereignty illustrated, look at this passage. You've got Caesar Augustus, has more power than anybody in this room, I promise. And he thinks that he's doing this for his glory, having the whole world give an account to him. But you know what God's actually doing? He's sovereignly using this man's sin to accomplish his will. To take this couple from Nazareth, a hundred miles to Bethlehem. Because in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, he prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem from the house of David, of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. God's using this man's sin. You want to see God taking wicked things, things that men mean for evil and using them for good? You can look at this story or you can look at the cross. When we murdered his son and he used it for our greatest good, your salvation and mine, to give us this gift and amazing. This is good news of great joy. Why? Because for unto you is born a Savior, Christ, Lord. The question is this, is he your Savior? Is he your Christ? Is he your Lord? Let me read you the rest of the passage. There's actually some bad news here. In verse 12 it says this, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That'd be scandalous to religious people, the Savior in that situation. And suddenly... There was with the angel, there went from one angel a multitude of angels, of heavenly hosts. We read in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, based on what that says, that this probably means there are more angels there than the human mind can fathom the number of. 
So heaven breaks forth and the glory of God comes forth like in the transfiguration onto earth in this moment. They're praising God and they're saying, you're not going to steal God's glory. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among, and many of our greeting cards just say men. Look what the Bible says. Among those with whom he is pleased. Uh Uh-oh. I thought this was good news for all people. But not all people experience it. Only those with whom he's pleased experience this. So who is he pleased with? Oh, now that must be for the religious people. That must be for the pretty people. That must be for the elite people, right? No. So then it's just for the Rahabs and the Matthews. and No. The Bible says there's only one way to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, since we've been justified, justified means that we've been declared righteous. We weren't righteous. We've been declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. Justified, how? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign authority. Jesus Christ is in his last name, the Messiah, the promised one from the Old Testament. Yeah. Because what the Bible also says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is this, the wages of your sin were all sin, being glory thieves. The wages of your sin, what you earn, what you deserve because of it is death. That's separation from God. But there's a gift. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want to ask you the question, have you ever received that gift? If you haven't received that gift, maybe, maybe that's why you're here right now. That God brought you the same way he could sovereignly orchestrate moving a couple from Nazareth to Bethlehem. He brought you to this room tonight. So you could hear this information, so you could receive this gift. So let me tell you what the Bible says on how to do that. Not what I say. It doesn't matter what this church believes, what some denomination says. What does the Bible say? Because that's God's word. What does the Bible say about receiving this gift? Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we talked about that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He will be your Savior. For it's with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous. You weren't righteous, but because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, he declares you righteous. You'll be justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved, rescued from your sin. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm just going to ask everybody here tonight, however old you are, however young you are, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want to give you an opportunity to call out on Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. If you believe that you're a sinner... And the Bible says we're all sinners, that everybody sin, falls short of the glory of God. If you believe you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and you believe that Jesus is the one who died for your sins, who else is going to do that? Don't stand before God when the sovereign ruler, the exalted one, calls you to account one day on your own merit, because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, then ask Him to be your Savior. And you can do that by simply praying this prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. Let me tell you what I'm going to pray so I'm not tricking you into saying something you don't want to say. Don't want to manipulate you. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to experience the gift of true joy, everlasting joy that only comes from knowing the good news that you have a Savior, you have Christ, you have this Lord. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just acknowledge sin before God. So if you have sin to confess before God, then just in your heart you confess that sin to Him. I'm going to acknowledge a belief that Jesus died for sins and rose from the dead. If you believe that to be true, then confess that with your mouth. It says right in this passage. I'm going to ask Him to be Savior. Ask Him to be Lord so that He sovereignly, He takes control of your life. Let me tell you, in my own life, that was the, when I heard this news the first time, that was the hard part for me. I thought, he died for my sins? That's amazing. Everybody gets to go to heaven, but I go to call on him to be Lord, surrender control of my life to him? I don't know. And maybe you're not ready. I hope you are. Let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. I pray on behalf of all those who don't know you as Savior right now. 
I pray you'd speak to their hearts right now and say, he's talking about you. Will you convict hearts? Will you tap people on the shoulder? Will you speak into their lives right now and say, he's talking to you. This service is for you right now. And if God's speaking to your heart and you want Jesus to be your Savior, will you just pray these words with me and it's the words I just shared with you I was going to pray. Dear God, I acknowledge my sin before you. And you can say it out loud. You can say it quietly as you sit there. Maybe you'd even need to list sins that you want to give to him. Maybe there's some things you thought you could never be forgiven for. He can forgive you. Let me tell you something. God never made a person he didn't love. You've never committed a sin. He can't forgive. If you need to confess your sin to him right now, then confess your sin to him right now in this moment. Say, I acknowledge I am a sinner. And if you believe that Jesus died for those sins, will you acknowledge your belief that if in your heart you believe that's true, will you say, and God, I believe that your son Jesus died for those sins. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's offering me life, and tonight I want to receive that life. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord, ask Jesus to be my Savior, ask Jesus to take the wrath of God on himself in my place. And right now in this moment, if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, you don't have to say the exact words I said, but just say, I want to ask ask you to be my Lord and Savior right now, Jesus. With everybody here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed still, I just want to ask, if you prayed that prayer, would you just pop your hand up so I could see it? Almost like you're telling God, I just prayed that prayer. I see some people in the middle of the room. Just go ahead and raise your hand up. Like you're, like you're giving God glory. Glad you saved me. I see somebody over here on the side. That's awesome. And God knows in your heart what's going on in your heart. And we as a church, we're not going to try and manipulate you and make you do anything or say anything to us about it. But I want you to know that's the beginning. That's the most important decision you could ever make. That's the beginning of a faith journey. We'd love to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you would let us know in some way, whether it's a connection card out of the, the guest tent or whether you want to send us an email, we'd love to give you some resources to be able to grow in your relationship if you're not from this area uh, to help you find a church that you could plug into. If you are, we'd love to get you connected here. But I want to share with you, the Bible says in Luke chapter 15 that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, turns from their sin, turns to Jesus as Savior. And so we rejoice with you. All of heaven rejoices with you, those of you who made that decision. And Father, I pray for those here that are believers. I pray that you would give them a joy in their salvation. There are some here that may be like David. They've sinned and they've gotten away from you and your hand is heavy upon them and you're making them miserable. And then he cries out in the Psalms and says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, I pray for believers who need to have that joy restored in their lives. I pray you do that right now. I pray, God, for those that have been walking with you, walking faithfully with you. God, I pray that you would have them see you afresh, anew, this Christmas as we gather together with family and have meals and lights and presents and all that stuff that we wouldn't miss you meet with us please thank you in Jesus name I pray amen